While the Duke of Almada and his faithful Bois-Laurier watch from the terrace of the royal palace of Saint-Germain, a roar de tremblay for whom they have searched all Paris in vain, makes her appearance in company with the powerful Marchioness de Montespan. In all that brilliant assemblage, the glory of the foremost court in Christendom, the Duke has eyes for none but the pale figure of a roar, following silence and a little afraid behind her protector. Then there is a murmur from the crowd. Christian Majesty Louis XIV of France has arrived. The slight, elegant figure a glitter with diamonds, resplendent in velvet and fine Flemish lace, makes its stately way through the gardens to the courtyard with its playing fountains. And the bowing courtiers step discreetly back as Louis of France pauses graciously beside the Marchioness de Montespan. Sire. The sun shines more brightly since you returned to Saint-Germain. My heart is lighter because of it. Yet you are not here to welcome us, madame. I was with my children, sire. Laudable indeed, madame. It was a great grief to me that I was not here when you arrived. You bear it bravely. As a woman must, sire. It seems you are not anxious to receive me. A king has much upon his mind, madame. Many people have changed on my attention. Such as in you, Marchioness de Fougere. Indeed, I was overjoyed on behalf of my dear Francois. He has, as you know, existed upon my charity for many years. It is truly gratifying that your majesty should take an interest in I felt bound to reward her for the care she has taken of the children, of whom I am cognizant of the fact that she has been truly a mother. His majesty's kindness and consideration is beyond me. Madame, to my regret, I have to inform you of a decision I have come to, which will certainly affect you as much as it does myself. I am listening, sire. As you will realize, madame, it is necessary for us to be most careful at all times, particularly so at the moment. The queen is so ill, I am bound to spare her anything at all that might success and impede her in recovery. I see that your majesty has been listening to the queen's physicians, who must, of course, say something to earn their salary. No, madame. I have been guided solely by my own instincts. Which alone I obey. As you have decided, it only remains for me to bow to your wisdom. The preachers, Baudouet and Bordelieu, are possessed of such eloquence as to make converts to a wall of stone. I have been converted, sire, and this alone justifies me in breaking all bonds which are a weight upon my conscience. You surely do not mean that we should part. Was it not that you had in mind also? Mary, it should be discreet. But I must take the initiative. I am only too happy, sire, to spare you the mortification of telling me to depart. What? What? Smiling, madame. It is some joke, perhaps. 
cannot believe it. Yes. It is settled then. I shall leave the course tomorrow. Good intentions are best carried out immediately. Do you then leave without regret? I do. You can think so easily. Without a qualm. With everything. I have no reason to be uneasy about my children. As I so recently heard Your Majesty say, they will be cared for by their second mother, the Marchioness de Fouzier. Besides, I may be allowed to see them in my retreat at Flamie. Would you try to forget everyone? Without exception. Very well, then. If you must, go. As soon as I have finished the duty, placed under the scepter of Your Majesty's justice, a person whom the Queen's friends themselves would deem worthy of your interest. Samuel Come here. Yes, my lady. Sire, this young lady, daughter of one of your old and faithful servants who has been pursued by villains, begs to be placed under the safeguard of your justice and authority. But now she offers me an angel. Judging by her look. What is the lady's name, madame? Sire, Mademoiselle Aurore de Tromble, daughter of the former governor of the Bastille. Sire. Victim of an audacious attempt to abduct her in a suit of passion. Speak, my young friend. Makes His Majesty believe the event impossible. Indeed, it is true, sir. My soul, the author shall be discovered and punished. I doubt not that the perpetrator is someone above the Lord. Madame, know that I allow nobody in my kingdom to set laws in defiance. Yet I should beg measures to be taken for her safety, for I reckon on being accompanied to Clarny Convent by this poor hunter girl. Rest assured, the young lady is now beneath my protection. Oh, sir, how kind you are. It is the prince's duty to watch over the safety of his subject. A sweet duty to fulfill in the object of the daughter of one of his gentlemen and is herself one of the most accomplished persons whom I have ever had the blessing to admire in my court. The prince people. You spoke, madame. But to beg leave to go, sir. If you must go, madame, I may come sometimes to disturb your solitude. If only to show your charming protege that your feeding is not forgotten. You shall always be welcome, sire. And when the prison side of ridiculous gossip has died, and the queen has recovered, without doubt, you will both return to court. If your majesty desires it. I will see you before you go. I trust so, sire. Until then, madame. Farewell, your majesty. Come, mademoiselle. Come. These fairy women are. I expected a fairy in their midst of soft words. I think she will be sad to go. Nevertheless, she's eager. And then the child. The fairy, the fairy light. I'm going to come there. The self is not more beautiful. And I doubt if heaven holds my purity and innocence. Despite all obstacles, I cannot now let Madame stay too long behind her convent walls. Is she not divinely fair? My Lord Aramis, do you question me? Heaven forbid that I should so far forget my respect. I only ventured to echo Your Majesty's thoughts. Pray overlook my error or my wrongfulness in act. Are you a fortune teller, my Lord, that you can read my thoughts? Of whom were you speaking? The same of whom you were thinking. The lady who has just left you. Madame de Montespan? She has just announced her retirement to a convent. That is her day. 
Uh, but it was of the other younger lady I spoke. Uh, the Marchioness is indisputably fair, but only the fairest of earthly creatures, while her companion is like an angel come down from the sky. Mademoiselle du Tremblay. Is then you know her? Is such is my good fortune. And I take the liberty to add that never has a loftier and braver spirit inhabited more perfect freedom. Indeed, she comes of a good family in Anjou and fully deserves whatever favors the king may shower upon her. For the moment, my lord, she asks for nothing but protection. As though such an angel could have enemies. Yet an attempt was made to abduct her by some scoundrel. I shall have my police deal with. Uh, you may be certain, sir, that no one forms more ardent vows than I do for the punishment of the guilty. Ah, uh, that I was young again at the happiest period of my life, when one is no longer a boy, nor yet a dry leaf, to love, to reward, to punish with one's own hand. Indeed, those happy years, my lord. Though of age and death, one should not speak to princes. What does I testify to an alarming state of mind, for one in the very prime of life? Duke. You do not look upon a happy man. Surely it cannot be as a monarch that you have become fond of size. Where shall a king find one to love him for himself? Uh, do not slander the sex, sir. Uh, there is one not far distant, I believe. Has this fair young lady no kinship? Alas, she is an orphan. A deplorable condition I wish to call to your majesty's attention. I am all attention. This ward of the Marchioness, in some degree mine also, though she has not charged me with it, it came to Paris to prosecute a lawsuit on which depends the subsistence of her younger brother and sister. Our Aurora is poor but proud beyond equal, and she sues for nothing. Hence it is I who plead for her, thinking if some post could be given, however humble, near your august person, its income would eat out her meager resources. You will plead most eloquently, my lord. As a post of reader is vacant in the Queen's household, I am accorded to Mademoiselle. Ah, one cannot stay by your majesty any length of time without every instant augmenting one's gratitude. Um, your ward may at once enter on her duties. I will speak to the queen myself. And from her lips, your interesting orphan shall hear the good news. And you too, my lord, if you can see him, as I trust. I will not fail, sire. In that case... Keep well until we meet this evening, my dear Duke. Till then, farewell. Farewell, my king. Well, my lord, have we the cue? <laughs> In faith, Valerier, I am not complaining. The game is as good as one. of Porthos, adapted for radio by Margaret Dunn from the novel by Alexander Dumas, a George Edwards production.